This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome to another episode of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on the trek fm network i'm one of your hosts bruce gibson and we're glad you're back joining us for another round of discussion about star trek and if this is your first time welcome aboard so with me as always is our fabulous co-host of literary treks dan gunther yo how's it going tonight bruce it's going well it's going really well it's kind of a strange night because we have someone else joining us who's in a rare form <laughs> before the show here laughing it up with us and that is brandon shay Matala. i would prefer it if for the remainder of this episode you called me the dm so uh, do you guys got your your dice ready? You got your bolts ready to roll? Yeah. Well, we got bolts. Okay, because we're going to be fighting space Martians, flying dragon things, and we're crossing bridges and stuff. And so we got to set up your characters, okay? I, I've got a luck of three and a charisma of one. That's that's good, right? No, you've got a, you've got a much higher charisma than that, Dan. You're a pretty charming individual. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, sir. Yeah, Bruce, on the other hand. <laughs> I'm glad you figured that out. So- the reason uh, Brandon is talking about bolts and rolling and DM and all that stuff is because that's part of the topics that we're going to discuss in our feature, which is the Star Trek Enterprise novel by the book, which was the first original Enterprise story in novel form. So we'll get to that later. But before we do that, let's talk a little next generation. Definitely. Shall we? Sure. That's so Brandon... But you know what, Brandon, before we do that, let everybody know uh, who the heck you are. Oh, hello. I, my name is Brandon Metella, and I'm an associate producer for this crazy show here. And uh, I believe I did message you guys and tell you that I expected this episode to be done in the Rose Nyland and Peter Griffin voices. <laughs> yes, because uh, we yep. did that once before, Dan. <laughs> what, what your, let's hear your Peter Griffin voice again. I, I'm pretty sure all I could really do is the laugh. And, and Good enough. Like, I expect <laughs> you to- I expect that after every sentence you say for the whole night. And, <laughs> I can and try something Bruce, other than the laugh, I suppose. You need to say, meanwhile in St. Olaf. Oh, meanwhile in St. Olaf. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anyways, that's I, my I, I, I host a couple of shows on the network here. You know, I'm on the uh, Warp 5, which is our Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I co-host that with Floyd Dorsey. And I'm on Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. So one of the ideas that Brandon had is he wanted to come on the show with Floyd 
and do a Enterprise Literary Treks episode. And so we chose a novel, but unfortunately, Floyd can't be with us tonight. So we thought we'd have two guest hosts with us, but unfortunately, Floyd isn't here. So we just have Brandon. So we'll, we'll get through it. We'll, we'll, we'll manage with just Brandon. Yeah, Floyd was a little too busy. He's on light duty after that transporter accident when they beamed him up uh, from the camping trip. And he's got all those twigs in his face and the sand is coming out and all those pimples. Yeah, you just 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 don't scratch. Don't let them scratch. Yeah, yeah, rough stuff. Not good. Not good. It is rough stuff. But not only do we have enterprise, but we also have some uh, next generation, as I mentioned earlier, because we have an announcement of a new novel, which I think we mentioned before, but it's called Hearts and Minds. But this time, we've actually seen the cover and we have a synopsis to it. So this comes out May thirtieth, and as I mentioned, it's called. Star Trek The Next Generation, Hearts and Mind. It will be about 400 pages, and it's a mass paperback, mass market paperback. There'll be an ebook and an audio version. It's so nice we're getting audio versions of these books. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. More and more of them. Really cool to finally be getting those again. So taking a look at this cover, we have a bluish cover. We've had several bluish covers like this, and we've had got Captain Jean-Luc Picard, front and center there and then we have some planet the surface of a planet below him and uh the author is dayton ward i don't know if i mentioned that but uh what do you guys think of this cover i like this one because as we've heard from authors in the past you get patrick stewart's face on a book it tends to sell better so (laughs) check we've got that and uh yeah it looks nice it's intriguing this one i think for me anyway gets the literary trek seal of approval or stamp of approval. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? This cover reminds me a lot of the Brinkmanship cover. So because of the blue mm. tint and you've got Picard on there. Um, but I mean, based on what the book is, I don't really see it in the cover here. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to to read it and check it out. I haven't read the, the second book. I don't know if we're going to talk about the summary of it, but this is a uh, kind of a next generation version of his from history's shadow, I think. Right. Yeah. It's a continuation of, of the, story elements of those two books anyway yeah from history shadow is pretty cool i haven't read the second one yet um because that came out right in the smack dab in the middle of that rewatch that i was doing last year Uh, but i shall be getting to it soon but um yeah elusive salvation because i'm in the middle of the prey trilogy right now that i'm I'm reading from john jackson miller uh but uh yeah i don't know it's it's gonna be interesting to check it out and see how it is and how it translates into the next generation era yeah i mean i like the cover but there's really not a whole lot to say about it it's not that intriguing to me again it's some surface of a planet with uh patrick stewart on there i mean it's a nice looking cover i think if anything the synopsis makes it more interesting dan you know what? you're always so good at reading the synopsis i know how much you enjoy it <laughs> would you like to do it in your regular voice and not the peter griffin voice Aww. i would love to <laughs> 2031 united states air force fighter jets shoot down an unidentified spacecraft and take its crew into custody Soon it's learned that the ship is one of several dispatched across space by an alien species, the Izand, to search for a new home before their own world becomes uninhabitable. Fearing extraterrestrial invasion, government and military agencies which for more than 80 years have operated in secret swing into action, charged with protecting humanity no matter the cost. 2386 Continuing their exploration of the Odyssean Pass, Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the Starship Enterprise discover what they at first believe is a previously uncharted world, with the civilization still recovering from the effects of global nuclear war. 
An astonishing priority message from Starfleet Command warns that there's more to this planet than meets the eye, and Picard soon realizes that the mysteries of this world may well weave through centuries of undisclosed human history. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I had to do that for you, Brandon. Appreciate it. <laughs> As a question for these books, how do you guys feel about, you know, Picard is still a captain and stuff. Like, he's been a captain for like 45 years now because he was a captain of the Stargazer <laughs> for 20 some years. And this is now 20, 20 years after Encounter at Farpoint. Like, that's a long time for him to still be captain. I don't know. It is. But I think, uh, you know, he's just really taking what Kirk said to him to heart. You know, don't let them promote you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship. I mean, he's going to be captain until he looks like Professor X in Logan. I mean, he's going to be there forever, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't really bother me, It's, but it is a little strange because when you think about uh, people who are captain or commander uh, before him uh, or after him, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, Janeway's an admiral, Riker's an admiral. I mean, Cisco's still a captain, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see a promotion for him soon. I mean, everybody's going to start outranking him at some point. Jordy's going to outrank him. Harry Kim's going to outrank him right away. <laughs> Which is amazing because it takes forever for him to get promoted. But, <laughs> you know, it. But it's like Dan said. I think he took what Kirk said to him to heart. And I think just in his bones, he knows that he just doesn't want to be behind that desk. In some ways, it's good because when we got with Kirk, he became an admiral and he was always miserable as an admiral, wanting to go back to captain. And now we have a captain who says, you know what? I'm smart enough to know not to go there. I'm just going to ride this out for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I think if we get to the point where they receive an incoming message from their sector commander, Admiral Nog, maybe it'll have gone a little bit far. But yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, he's. Okay, he's I believe Nog's hit an admiral before, uh, before Harry Kim's hit an admiral. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's got more of the lobes for it than Harry does, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, in the Countdown comic, we see uh, Picard as an ambassador. So mm. maybe he'll be an ambassador by this time next year. Who knows? Maybe. You never know. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go into the comics. And the comic that we're reviewing this week is Waypoint number four. And as any of you know who have read the Waypoint comics or have heard us discuss it, they're a little different than a typical Star Trek comic. The stories are taking chances and going into areas of the unknown. And I don't mean the unknown areas of space. I mean like style and the story. And it's just, it's like a surprise. You never know what you're going to get in a Waypoint comic. And there's usually two stories in there. So, you know, each story is kind of short. So I'm going to mix things up tonight, guys. So we've got an Enterprise story in here and we have a Next Generation story. I want to start with the Next Generation story, the second one in here, because we were just talking Next Generation. And then we'll go to the Enterprise stories, which will lead us into the Enterprise novel. So, that next generation story, which I should have turned to immediately when I said that, but I didn't. <laughs> but I'm I'm working my way there right now. Mirror, 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 mirror. Mm -hmm. There's four mirrors in this title. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw this, I was like, "What mirror, mirror? Oh, it's mirror, 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 mirror." Meow, yeah, I expected meow, to meow. see like an evil stepsister or something talking to a mirror on the wall or something like that. Right, I was expecting this is going to be a mirror universe story. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not. So the Enterprise D is over this, uh, approaches this planet, and we get a, a chief medical officer's log from Dr. Crusher. And we find Dr. Crusher and Lieutenant Commander Worf down, well, actually, he's Lieutenant Worf, I think, in this one. But anyway, he, they're down on this planet in this field of beautiful flowers. And we start off with the third panel showing Worf picking a flower and smelling it. That's how I knew this was a Mirror Universe comic. Because <laughs> everybody in the Mirror Universe is evil, but Worf is the opposite. He's, He's gentle and he bear. stops to smell the roses. He does. <laughs> he smells a little like lilac. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so he's down there with Beverly. And I mean, we're really talking about a whole field. Like everywhere you look, it's just tons and tons of these purplish, pinkish flowers everywhere. And they find this big bush of flowers and they come approach it and there's an object inside. And Worf starts to look in at this object, this, this mirror. And he sees his reflection. And all of a sudden... He yells, Doctor! All of a sudden, we have duplicated wharfs and duplicated Dr. Crushers. So, what do you guys, what were you guys thinking at this point? Because at first I was like, wait, what is, what is going on here? Is this some kind of time lapse crossing parallel universes or what's going on? Yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, not sure kind of what's going on here. Uh, definitely. Yeah, really didn't know what to think at this point. Kind of going the typical Star Trek route, like parallel universes, quantum realities, something like that, you know. But it turns out to be something different, which is different, I suppose. True. And so here are these multiple crushers looking at each other and multiple wharfs looking at each other. And then Picard chimes in from the Enterprise on their communicators. He's like, Picard to Crusher, what is going on down there? And she's like, I, I, I'm not sure, Captain. It seems Worf and I have been duplicated. And he says, did you say duplicated? Why do you sound so strange? It's because when Beverly talks, all the Beverly talks at the same time. There's like four or five or eight Beverly's talking the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I was just saying, okay, this is a little odd. Not sure how I feel about this. Brandon, what were you thinking at this point? I don't know. I was wondering where they were going with it. Like, this is an odd story. And it, again, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, this was the weakest waypoint in general for me, I think, so far. Like, I've really enjoyed them up to now. But this story is just strange. And it's, I don't know. If the ending is weird. And the ending just was not satisfying. And at this point of the book, I'm thinking, like, are they clones? Are they duplicates? Are they gonna overtake the ship like what's going on here and i don't know it just it felt weird and it didn't seem quite right to me it didn't feel like a star trek story to me well it felt weird to me too and also the art is a little more cartoonish than what we're used to sometimes so the whole thing was just feeling a little odd i wasn't sure where this sat with me at this point uh especially when picard then beams down to confront all the beverly's I don't know if it was just, you know, he liked the idea of having multiple Beverly's in his life or not, but he comes down, you know, which one of you is the real crusher? And they're all like, I am, I am. They all say at the same time. So he starts quizzing them on. He says, good. 
No, he thought that. He didn't say it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah, he starts sorry, yes. quizzing them on on her honeymoon with Jack Crusher and uh, a stray cat from the academy and all this to identify. And of course, they all know the same answer because we do find do find out that they are all duplicates of Crusher and Worf. So now at this point, Picard is asking Data, who's up on the Enterprise. Uh, for more sitting on the battle bridge or something. I, I, yeah, I, I have no wondering. idea where he is, but I just assume it was the enterprise. I wasn't sure if he was on a shuttle craft or something. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wasn't too sure about that, but this is the one part of the comic. I was starting to rub me the wrong way because every time data spoke, he interrupts was like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> it's, and it's just the same drawing of data over and over and over again too. <laughs> He's just looking down at his computer in the exact same position, rattling off a bunch of stuff. And Picard's saying, thank you, Mr. Da- thank you, Mr. Data. Yet, yet, thank you, Mr. Data. <laughs> like, if you go yeah. to that one page where there's, what, the 12 panels on it, right? And there's those two at the top and the bottom with Picard, and it's a yellow background. Like, does he not look mm-hmm. like he could be standing right next to those guys on King of the Hill on the curb? <laughs> I, yeah, I see that. I can see that. Talking propane? <laughs> also he, I, this is really nitpicky of me but he appears to be a lieutenant in all of these uh hey yeah panels here lieutenant picard i didn't notice that until you were saying it but you're right every panel he's got two pips that's really weird i don't know how that got by hmm i don't know maybe it's just a the sun the way it's hitting it where we're seeing reflection off the two and not the others or maybe he lost anyway oh and Davis just ranks on the wrong side in well, in one of the panels, anyway. Huh. Weird. Anyway. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting really nitpicky now. <laughs> now I'm distracted. Okay, so let's jump ahead here. So we're trying to figure out why are we having all these duplicates. And we're even figuring out that the flowers are duplicates of each other. So Beverly has this great idea. She says, okay, O'Brien, I want you to beam down two big mirrors. And she has the mirrors face each other because it reminds her at her grandmother's house how she used to just stare into the mirrors that reflected each other that looked like she went on to infinity. All the different images in the mirror just went on to infinity, which is funny because in my grandmother's house when I was a kid, she had two big mirrors opposite of each other. And my brother and I used to do that all the time is look how it goes on to infinity. I think every single kid in the history of time that has ever looked at a mirror has done that. And including Beverly Crusher. Yes. <laughs> and so Beverly and Worf look at each other in the multiple mirrors and we see tons and tons of Crushers and Worfs and the little mirror that was making the duplicates of everything sees itself and it's no longer alone. Yeah. Yeah, this was one, like, this was one thing where Okay, time, Mr. O'Brien, get those mirrors out of here. And then I scrolled to the next panel and I'm going, okay, so what happened? Because I was really lost and I needed Picard and Crusher in that final scene over wine to tell me what had happened, which is never really a good sign with the comic. (laughs) Yeah, I had to read the last two, three pages twice because Mm -hmm. I read and I was like, wait, wait. Am I getting what this has really happened? And I had to read it again. I'm like, okay, yeah. So the mirror was duplicating things 
because it was lonely and it can't see itself. And now that it's seen itself, it's no longer lonely because it can make a duplicate of itself to keep itself company. Is that right? But that'd be boring. That'd be just it as would, boring, yeah. if not more so. That's like Brandon making another Brandon. That'd be and horrible. He's happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and then all the flowers are gone too. <laughs> yeah, it's just one. Except flower. for one. <laughs> I don't know. So I can tell Brandon really liked this one. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I mean, I, at first I wasn't really into it. I mean, it's not my, my favorite story of Star Trek, but for Waypoint, you, you know, the type of stories we got, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, it, I wasn't a big fan of it, but I just like the idea of the mirrors looking at each other and, and them all looking at each other in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I went into this understanding how out there and weird Waypoint is, but I, I, I'm, not afraid to admit, I just didn't get this one. I, I don't get it. But um, it's 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 cute, I guess. But yeah, I I didn't really understand what the what the plight of the mirror was, I guess, and how that solved it. But okay. Well, let's move on then. Let's go back <laughs> two hundred years. <laughs> We're going to now review the Enterprise story, the fragile beauty of loyalty. And this is the very first Enterprise comic ever published. Ever, ever, never, ever have we ever had an Enterprise comic. And I got, I'm jumping in here right now and saying that Waypoint was not the way to start an Enterprise comic because, like, this was just a letdown. I don't know. Like, I was so sad. I was so excited for this comic to be coming out right after the third, the third issue. You, I messaged Bruce immediately, and I'm like. I just realized this means we're going to get an Enterprise comic. <laughs> this is going to be. And then like two days later, they announced that Enterprise was to be in the next comic. And I'm like, yeah, we got to do a whole episode. Let's do an Enterprise book. Yeah, let's do the Enterprise comic. And then I read this thing and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> it oh, is boy. an Enterprise story, though. It so, is. Yep. <laughs> I, there's, I don't know. I was telling you guys at the beginning, like there's 10 pages to this comic Six of them have no words on them. And like two of them have like three bubbles of words on them. So it's like it, this thing took me 30 seconds to read. And I'm just like, that's it. I don't know. I was just uh, it just was not what I was expecting and not what I was wanting out of the first comic. It's an interesting story. But I mean, time traveling. Can I spoil the end here? Like the <laughs> the hero at the end of this is just like, no. No, don't do that to me. No. I won't even spoil what it was, but I was just like, no. Well, well I, I think, think we're okay no! to spoil this one. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, with the last waypoint, we did get the little synopsis that it's a time-traveling Porthos comic. So Okay, fine. Sorry, I, I, think we were, I was kind of expecting this. Um and right, I, so it's not the first Enterprise comic; it's the first Porthos tri time traveling comic. <laughs> I just okay, then let's just call it Underdog: where, The Next Generation. Okay, I, I just want an introduction where Porthos gets described as leaping from life to life, hoping that his next leap would be the leap home. <laughs> uh, but no, I okay. So I'm going to be uh, the contrarian view on this one because I actually really liked this. I thought it was really. Uh, and I'm out. cool. I know. I'm <laughs> sorry, Brandon. I'm sorry. 
Oh, then uh, I love it too. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did like this. I thought it was like I said, I was I already knew it was going to be a Porthos thing because of the little description we got in the last issue. And you know, when we got that, I was like, oh, how are they gonna do that? And you know, it's silly, it's ridiculous. But I don't know, there's something really kind of sweet about it. I love the little dedication at the end for the two dogs, like uh I'm not going to try and pronounce the Russian last name, uh, who is of course the first, uh, dog in space. And then I did a Google search on the second name Suki Sue. And I think it is probably the author's own dog because it has an Instagram account. <laughs> oh, great. So obviously written, Instagram. By, <laughs> obviously written by a dog lover. Um, and I don't know, I think that shows, and I thought it was really sweet and I really enjoyed it and I don't know. So sue me. I love this one. <laughs> okay. I'm so happy that I... you're happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm in the middle on this one. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just, again, like with the, uh, next generation one, I just, you know, I think it's kind of a sweet little Star Trek thing. I did not look at this as, oh my gosh, this is the first Enterprise comic. I just went into this. It's like, okay, let's let's see what I'm going to get out of this Waypoint comic. And hey, we have a Cinnabon, I mean a Sulabon in here. So you know it's going to be good. <laughs> um, so yeah, Johnny Archer, this is in 2020, and he's a kid, and he goes out uh, and he leaves his dog behind. He was supposed to take his dog out with him when he went out in the snow, and he didn't feel like taking him. His parents said, hey, take the doggy with you. No, I'm out of here. And he goes on the dangerous ice surface on a lake, and a Sullivan sneaks up and kicks him in kicks the rear. <laughs> <laughs> and he lands out on the ice, which cracks, and whoosh, he's down underwater. Poor Jonathan Arthur, Arthur, poor Jonathan Archer is about to die under this ice and no one's there to save him because he got kicked in the butt by this Sullivan. And then Porthos, or he doesn't know it's Porthos from the future, but that's what it is. Porthos came back from the future <laughs> to save Johnny Archer from the Sullivan who kicked him in the butt into the ice. To be clear, the dog, not the musketeer. <laughs> yes okay come on like just look at this okay so the kid weighs 100 pounds maybe right he sits on the ice he's there for a good couple of frames which means that this uh, this ice is relatively thick and this dog takes a branch and like smashes through a frozen lake like well he knew where to identify where the ice was the thinnest and he was augmented with 31st technology century technology provided to him by Daniels I'm sure does this yes, have to do with that that <laughs> pigment brain that poor, that flocks put in him in a night in sick bay oh no i uh, don't bring up a night in sick bay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but he thinks it's not poor. He doesn't know it's Porthos. He thinks it's the dog he left behind at home, the one with the Russian name. Yes. So, but then, but then at the very end, the last page. Look at those eyes. The shock in his eyes at those two frames, where he's just like, <laughs> "Yes, Archer in the Porthos Enterprise timeline figures it out. He remembers it was Porthos that saved me under that ice." That was the one bit that I was like, ah, that's a bit much. I think they should have left it with him not knowing at all because, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one. 
I think it would be, it's just funny how it ends with his eyes like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. These stories, I mean, okay, let's just talk about this real quick. I mean, Brandon, you said you like the other waypoints. I mean, I, they're not, I, I would not say that these are Star Trek comics that if you're a big Star Trek fan that you, you need to get a thrilling, epic Star Trek story out of. Aren't these just more kind of these off-the-cuff sweet for the most part, just little fun. I mean, a lot of times I think this is something my kids would like to read. My favorite waypoint so far has actually been the Naomi Wildman one. I I thought that that one was really cool, creative, and unique, and was perfect for this 10-page format. And most of the other ones haven't really been. Like the very first one where you had like what was it like Jordy in charge of the ship with the multiple datas? I thought that was really cool because it was kind of like I was expecting Waypoint to end up being like this, what deviations ended up being, where you could just have fun with it. And for them to actually do something that that's trying to fit in the continuity, and I don't know, it's just, it, it was just a letdown for me because I wanted more. I want Enterprise Comics, and it was just a letdown because it was just not enough for me. You know, mm-hmm. that's all. I mean, I, I was just expecting more, and I was excited for more, and it was four pages of reading and 30 seconds of my time, like... I don't know. Yeah. No, and I mean, I totally get that. I I understand, like, especially since you pointed out, and I hadn't really thought of it, that this is the first Enterprise comic. Yeah, that, that, that would be kind of a letdown. To me, I, just because I kind of was thinking about it beforehand and was like, I'm not going to put too much stock in this. And I liked it because... It was an interesting, fun story. The TNG story in this one, I didn't like because to me, it just doesn't make sense. Weird, uh, weird. Yeah, like I just don't, I still don't get it. But the Enterprise one, you know, beginning, middle and end, it's a coherent story and I thought it was kind of cool. But You don't uh, get the mirror story because you're not a mirror. You're a person. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a mirror who yearns to look at other mirrors, I guess. Hmm. Let's yeah, reflect on that. <laughs> Boo. Oh, oh <laughs> okay. So my 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 thoughts about Waypoint are that they've been interesting because they're so different from what we've gotten from Star Trek before. I like even the Gold Key uh, takeoff. Uh, that was a fun one. I've enjoyed some of them, but again, I think I've. I think I'm good with them for now. Like I, I don't. I mean, I, I'll read and I'll read every waypoint that comes out. But if I want to get a Star Trek fix, this isn't what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like a solid Star Trek story. And these are just little fun, little side, sweet kind of funny stories. And it's that's not what I'm looking for. But they're interesting. Yeah, it's it's worth checking out. Sarah Gatos, you, give us an actual Enterprise line of comics. <laughs> yes, or a big graphic novel or something like that. That would be awesome. Okay, well, let's move on because let's talk about a novel. We're going to go into our feature here, but before we do that, which, by the way, is an Enterprise novel, so hopefully this is the first. So we talked about the first Enterprise comic. Now we'll be going on to the first Enterprise novel, original novel, because the first novel is actually the novelization of Broken Bow. But uh, before we do that, let me tell you where you can contact us if you want to talk about Waypoint or Enterprise or the next generation. You can send us an email by going to trek.fm contact. 
You can send us a voicemail by going to the website and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can go to Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Trek FM. You can go to the Babel Conference on Facebook. That's our discussions group for the Trek FM network. And just search for the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, in that search field on Facebook. And then it will take you to the discussion group where you can sign up and we'll let you into the closed group to talk about Star Trek with us. And then we have our Goodreads group. If you go to goodreads.com and search for literary treks, you will see that we have a group in there where we're covering the books and having discussions. And it also shows you what's coming up on future shows. So that's how you can find us. And what we really appreciate is some iTunes reviews. So if you can throw those out there on iTunes, that would be really helpful too, because that helps people find the show. So anyway, let's move on to our first enterprise novel of all time in our feature. So in 2002, enterprise came out with its first original novel and it's called by the book by Dean Wesley Smith and Kristen Catherine rush. And I didn't read this book at the time. So this is the first time I've read the book. So in our discussion, we are going to review by the book. This was recommended to us from Brandon. And I think, Brandon, you've read this one before. Yeah, I bought this when it originally came out in 2002. And I think this is probably the third time I've read it. But, you know, there was only one part of the book that I actually remembered. And I didn't remember. The only part that I remembered was the fact that they referenced that transporter accident of that guy. And he was like scratching his face and they're like, stop doing that. That's all I could remember that was in the book because I thought it was so neat that they referenced something that happened in an episode. <laughs> so, What about you, Dan? Did you read this at the time? Uh, I had not read this one at the time. So, yeah, this was my first time reading it as well. Uh, so it was, it was kind of nice to revisit season one era Enterprise. So, And also noted that enterprise not star trek enterprise at the time which is that's true interesting that is true it was just enterprise for those first two seasons so it's really odd because i don't think i mean i was reading star trek novels i've been reading them for 25 years or so whatever since 1990 but uh for some reason, I never read any of the Enterprise novels till after the series ended. And I watched the series week by week as it premiered. But mm -hmm. for some reason, I wasn't reading the novels. I don't know why. So I never got to this one or any of the other real early ones. Well, there wasn't that many. There was only about four or five of them throughout the whole run of the show. That's probably why I didn't. Yeah, they didn't have very many. <laughs> and I mean, like, I honestly have to say the marketing for this also just the fact that the cover is that stock season one publicity photo that you had seen a hundred times before the series even aired was kind of, I, I don't know, I had no real desire to pick this one up. Even though there's kind of the guerrilla marketing that it's called buy the book. I didn't yeah. buy the book. But I think that has a lot to do with it because when I picked up this one, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh yeah, I remember when this came out, but it feels, you know, it has the stock picture on it from the you know the series and i'm used to like original covers and i guess because with that cover it just didn't seem original to me so it didn't interest me at the time i feel the exact same way and i feel the same way today i would i would like an original cover i don't want just a cast photo mm -hmm. yeah this one would not have gotten the stamp of approval <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's not a bad picture, but it's like you said, we've seen it all the time. It, it reminds me when Encounter at Farpoint came out. That was the first Next Generation novel based on the pilot, and it had a picture of the crew on it, and it just didn't interest me. I did read it, but 
I want original covers. Oh, that's funny. My encounter at Farpoint has like nothing on it. It's just like a Starfield. A Starfield, yeah. That's there, the one there that you have? a couple printings. Yeah. Yeah, I have that one too. Yeah, I remember that one. I don't know if maybe I got the second printing that had the crew on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, mine's I have worth seen more both, yeah. It's the first printing. It's mine's worth more, and I'm more of a fan than you are. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? You know what? Mine wouldn't be the first printing, because now I think about it, I didn't start reading the novels until 1990, so that was a few years after the premiere. So, yeah, you're right. You pro- you're probably Yours is probably more valuable, but mine's in better condition. I've got no idea. <laughs> now, now, we don't believe in being Gateway fans on this show. <laughs> I read this book in first run. <laughs> I read the book upside down. <laughs> I've memorized the book. <laughs> well, that being said, let's get into this book. So this book starts off with Ensign Elizabeth Cutler, and she's playing a 20th century RPG with some of her crew members. So this is something she used to do as a kid, and she's introducing this 20th century game to her fellow crewmates to play with her. And it's about fighting the evil Martians on the planet Mars, which they are quick to point out, well, wait, there aren't green little men Martians on Mars. So this isn't real. And she's like, you need to just enjoy this and expand your, you know, imagination. And when this took place in the 20th century and let's play an RPG game and we'll use bolts since we don't have dice we'll roll bolts on top of a towel wait does this sound like a waypoint comic (laughs) you know it actually kind of does um yeah no this was i thought kind of an interesting little meta story within a story i've been kind of glancing at other people's reviews online of this book just to see what other people thought and there's a lot of dislike of this b plot because you know it seemed like the authors kept wanting to get back to it and thought it was more interesting than the main story i don't know i really like this one and i know it seems weird but i was always really interested to see what would happen next in this game uh i i don't know why exactly i kind of connected with this i've never played dungeons and dragons or any games like that i think i'd probably love them if i did but i just i just never really have so I don't know. I kind of connected with the story and really enjoyed it. I don't mind it myself. And it is weird because it is one of these drastic B plots that's very different from the A plot. But honestly, it really felt like a season one Enterprise episode because, you know, there are a few Enterprise episodes that have these drastic differences between A's and B plots. I mean, I look at the episode from season one, Silent Enemy, where they they come across this dark alien race that they don't know anything about that won't talk to them. And the B plot is find out what Malcolm Reed's favorite food is so we can throw him a birthday party. And we find out it's pineapples, but he's allergic to them. You know, like they're both plot lines are very good, but they're very different from each other. And I mean, it ties up in the, I won't, I won't spoil the end of the book. I'll try not to, like we did the last one, but uh, I mean, there's there, it kind of ties it up at the end, but it is weird because these, I don't think we've ever read a Star Trek book that has these clear A and B plot lines that are so different from each other. I, I like this B plot line uh, for the same reason, Dan, you said it's, I was just interested to see how the game was playing out for these characters. Uh, I kept waiting to figure out what this had to do with anything else in the book. But if anything, I just I just enjoyed watching them play the game. That's pretty much what it was like. It was like 
you know, being on the ship and just sitting there, sitting there in the galley, watching them play and pulling up a stool and just watching them go at it. And we had uh, Hoshi started the game, but then she had to leave it. And uh, we had what Alex Novakovic, 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 <laughs> whose name I will have some notes on later. But anyway, <clears throat> and Travis Mayweather. And James Anderson and James Anderson, uh, wait, was he the wait? Who's the one that got the transporter accident? That the that was Novakovic. That was Novakovic. Yeah. So he was the one scratching his face, and they kept mm-hmm. telling him, "Stop scratching," from the transporter <laughs> accident. So, but yeah, I just didn't really see what this s- story had to do with anything, but I just found it interesting. But it's like you were saying, it's like an early episode of Enterprise because they would have certain things like this. I remember my dad had not seen a Star Trek episode in the longest time. He, I don't think he ever saw Deep Space Nine or Voyager. And he came to my house when Enterprise was you know, new on the air. And, I, and Enterprise was on that night. And I said, Dad, you haven't seen any of these new Star Trek episodes that have been on for the last 10 plus years sit down i want you to watch this and i don't remember the name of the episode but it's one where it starts off with archers reading letters from school kids Mm. and (laughs) breaking the ice (laughs) (laughs) and my dad like five minutes later he was gone i was like oh that was the wrong one (laughs) yeah no I, i and i think part of it is that for me that like it just felt like a day in the life of these this crew and what it would be like to be on this first, you know, long distance warp five ship. I don't know. It it kind of really, it served to put me in their place. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's like a day in the life of the, sh- on the ship and, and, you know, you got to entertain yourself because unfortunately most of the time when you're on the ship, you're probably bored. There isn't much going on. I don't think there's much that we can look into and deeply analyze in this plot line, it is, it's, it is really like you've just said, it's a day in the life on the ship and it's just them getting to know each other. It's a camaraderie that's being built. Um, and, and that's about it. That's really all that you get out of this B plot in the novel. But I mean, it's interesting that this is the plot that we wanted to talk about first (laughs) because it's weird, but it is a really good read and it's fun to see them interacting and having a good time playing this game. It it seems really funny, but I actually have a bunch of friends that regularly play D&D. And while I was reading this novel, more than once, I kind of sat back and thought, I should see if I can join them sometime. <laughs> Which is, you know, I've never really been interested in RPGs like that. But yeah, maybe I should check this out. This seems kind of fun. I've never really done any RPGs. And I know we have the new Star Trek Adventures coming out soon. Yeah. So maybe that's our start right there. Hey, there's an idea. Absolutely. And that's a be at a book, so we could do it on a literary tracks. Yeah. That's true. Ooh. It could be our B plot line throughout the show. <laughs> Roll them bolts. <laughs> Excellent. So then we move on to the real story of this book. And. Because this is a early Enterprise novel, and it's early in our Starfleet timeline, of course we have to delve into how we handle meeting new races, how we handle first contacts. And how we and hate it, the Vulcans for holding us back. <laughs> and that boy, mentioned? do how do we ever hate the Vulcans? Holy <laughs> man. I think, so 50% of the book was was this RPG, and then 25% of the book was Archer talking about how the Vulcans held him back, I think. 
Well, isn't that like the whole first season too? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, there's no love for Vulcans in this book from Archer, but uh, you know, I think he and Topol kind of, you know, respect each other a little more towards the end, at least more so he does of her. I don't know what she thinks of him, especially <laughs> since he probably smells of that alien that came on board, but I'm kind of jumping <laughs> ahead. But uh, so anyway, there's this planet that they find the Fozzy. Is it Fozzy Bear? Fozzy? The Fozzy? <laughs> I, I kept waka thinking that waka. throughout the whole book. <laughs> uh-huh. So the Fozzy. <laughs> they're the Fonz from Happy Days. The Fonzies. See, now the I'm fo- picturing you as like, what is it? Waldorf and whatever. Like those two old guys that are just Statler heckling. and Waldorf. Yeah. yeah like, no. <laughs> oh, dear. So the they're they're watch looking at the Fozzy, <laughs> and they they want to make first contact because they have found out that they have established uh, warp travel. They have gone out into space, and so they can make a first contact meeting. Isn't that true? Didn't they? They they had explore or they had developed warp technology. They just haven't. Yeah, this race hasn't cut the warp trail of a test kind of thing. Yeah, right, that's right. right. Um, it was a test. But I, but I do have to say, I don't think that even really played into Archer's decision at all. I think he was like, ooh, an alien civilization. I want to make first contact and and help them out because well, the Vulcans was... didn't do that to Earth. So <laughs> I'm going to do it with them and, and show those Vulcans we know better kind of thing. That was my least favorite part of this mm-hmm. book is the way Archer was portrayed because yeah. you have Topol and Hoshi saying, Hey, you know, we we're we're studying their culture. We want to make sure when we make first contact that we do it right. We need to figure out their language. It's a bit, bit complicated. So, and Archer's like, I, I can't wait anymore. I'm just going down. I'm just going down. I, I, I don't care. I'm going down. And of course, when he goes down, he starts to communicate with them and he offends them because he talked when he shouldn't talk and they all left the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, this felt like a early season one, Jonathan Archer to me, he was very impatient at the beginning. I mean, I referenced silent enemy already, but I, I was actually picturing quite a lot of his actions in that episode when he was down on the planet with the fuzzy and was like, hi, I'm Jonathan Archer. And they didn't say anything to him. Well, the silent enemy, they didn't say anything back to him. And he's just kind of like, uh, what do I do now? And I found it very believable because Jonathan Archer is like, I just want to get to the action. I don't want to wait. I'm I'm upset at the Vulcans. I'm tired of how they held us back and I want to just go and I don't want to take your advice. So to me, it was a believable portrayal of him. It is. But at the same time, I guess I have a hard time imagining him not listening to his crew. If it was just to poll saying not to go, he'd say, okay, there you go. Vulcans trying to hold us back. But Hoshi was also telling him, Sir, I don't think now's the time to go. But he did give Hoshi the benefit of the doubt. I know he only gave her another 24 hours, but, you know, he, he did listen when Hoshi said something more than when T'Pol did. I think, to me, the broad strokes felt uh, very right. But at the same time, it almost felt like in some parts, not not the whole thing, but in a few cases, a little bit of a caricature of the idea of what Jonathan Archer was in season one. Like there's a lot of, you know, people talking about the best Star Trek captains. There's a lot of people out there that really don't like Archer and they always list, you know, how bumbling he is and that kind of thing. And I feel like this 
like some parts of season one to me just took that a little bit further than I would have liked kind of in the same way that Chris Pine's Kirk is a bit of a caricature of what fans think of as Kirk sometimes, if that makes sense. Like the broad strokes, I think very much fit in Archer's character, but there were a couple things like, you know, rushing down there uh, before Hoshi thought it was probably proper to do so just seemed a little bit off to me. But keep in mind, like this is the first novel. It came out, you know, two months after the pilot aired, right? If this came out in here, let me take a look here, actually, because I've got the book here. So the publishing date on this is January of 02. So it would have come out probably at the end of December, right? The first Enterprise episode was in October, right? And I mean, the only episodes that they reference in here is Broken Bow, Broken Bow, and uh, I guess it must be uh, Strange New World, which is the I think the third episode when they go down that planet. And I mean, so like a kind of like the siege that we that we talked about about a month ago, this is the first novel and they didn't have much to go on. So to me, they did a really darn good job with what they had. And it fits with these early, early representations of the characters. So I don't know. So Let's talk about that. So did the authors do a good job at getting these characters right and the story right of Enterprise when they had so little to go on? And yeah, I think that they really did. I mean, they gave Hoshi in here is doing a lot, right? More than she does in the show. And almost so is Mayweather, right? But I don't know. I think that they really got the the tone and the, of the way that Archer speaks. They really got the tone of T'Pol from season one, early season one. And the way that she like, you know, ruffled up her nose and whatnot when they when he stank because he had that animal smell on him and whatnot. You know, I... I believe the characters and they felt like early season one to me. Yeah. I think, like I said, the broad strokes, I think the authors did a really good job uh, portraying that feeling of season one enterprise for sure. This is where I want to get really nitpicky because I'm a Star Trek fan and, and that's what we do. So first of all, Ensign Cutler. Nope. Sorry. She was crewman Cutler, not an Ensign. It wasn't Alex Novakovich in that episode. They said his name several times, and it was actually Ethan Novakovich. And Ensign Hoshi should be Ensign Sato. Yeah, Ensign Hoshi bothered me. But maybe they thought she was Bajoran. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. But all that aside, yeah, no, they they did, you know, all joking aside, they did do a very good job matching the characters and evoking that season one feel for sure. So what's the difference between a crewman and an ensign? Enlisted well, a crewman and would be not. an enlisted uh, enlisted crew member, and an ensign would have been somebody would be an officer. Gotcha. Like O'Brien would be a crewman. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. chief petty officer, which is a higher grade than crewman, but yeah, they have their they have their own grades that that Star Trek usually largely ignores, <laughs> with a with a couple rare exceptions. <laughs> I thought the novel read like an Enterprise episode i it Mm -hmm. there was nothing in here that made me feel like these characters weren't true to the characters i know from the series uh i thought it was a a great job uh for an early novel to fit in so well i've read other early novels of other series that didn't quite mesh well with the the series and the characters but this one definitely did again my only nitpick was i just thought it was a little rushed on archer's part to just 
I'm going to go down and do that, but it didn't bother me that much. I totally get what you're saying, Brandon. I, I can see that. I, I guess maybe I would have liked it more if he was really doing it because not only did he really want to go down there, but he was just really ticked off at Vulcans and he feels like this is them again preventing me and I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to go out there like we should have done years ago. So we have two species on this planet. I always like the way Archer said species. He was always mad when he said species. But we have the Fozzie bear. I mean, the Fozzies. And <laughs> I can't, I don't like the name Fozzie. It's just, it was okay on page, but saying it out loud is a little odd. So I had a T in there, a T sound. It's probably a Fozzie. Oh, that could be. Just as long it's... as it's not a wet Fozzie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, the, the funny thing is, too, that they are the exact opposite of Fozzie bear, right? I mean, they're, they're, very, very structured. Their roads and everything have this perfect symmetry. All of their buildings look exactly alike. They have this incredible adherence to order and a controlled environment. So nobody says anything out of turn. Every, everything is done according to a pre-planned schedule. They have only one word for most things, whereas... You know, for example, we have, you know, 15 different words that all kind of mean the same thing for one thing. In Canada, we've got 15 different words for donut. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, in Saskatchewan, they call hoodies bunny hugs. I yeah, mean, like bunny hugs, man. Bunny hugs. Coming out the wazoo. <laughs> I mean, we got donuts. We got crawlers. We got like, what else we got, Dan? We got long johns. We long got bits. We got Damn, donut yeah. holes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we okay. We we've we've made the Americans scared and alone, so we should probably knock it off. <laughs> now I want to try all of those. <laughs> okay, Tim Horton, what do you have to say, Brandon? <laughs> so I want to talk about something first. So this other race, I'm sorry, I'm bad with these. What was the other race called? The Hippon, the Hippon. I believe. The Hippon. Hippon. Okay, Hippon. I totally pictured those like scarab beetle type things from the Dark Crystal. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I that can were, see that. I totally pictured those. That's what they look like with those big claws and like the legs and scuttling around. I don't know. That's just what I pictured when I was reading this. I could not get that image out of my head. Um, I like the idea of these two races on the planet and how the one, because of because of something, without I'm not going to give you any spoilers this time, because of something of the one species caused the other species to be rigid to be un, unbending. I think that's fascinating. I think that's a really interesting story idea. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I, th I think it serves the story well to illustrate what a bad contact can do. And it, and it really kind of, um, it really kind of reinforces to Paul's point that, you know, the Vulcans had to be careful over the last hundred years because they didn't know that, you know, one, they could do one little thing that would affect humanity forever. And that's the position that Archer is in now with making contact with the Fozzy and the Hippon, who, you know, interestingly, which I, I thought was also just a really a side thing that I thought was really cool. The Hippon are these really alien spider-like crustacean things. And in the end, it, it's, they're more relatable to the humans. The humans are able to relate to them more easily than to these humanoid creatures who just think in such a different weird way that you know we have a really hard time getting to know them and relating to them i thought there was there's something really interesting in that 
the rigidity of that thought process and how they only have one word for everything, man, that would be some boring podcasting. Well, they didn't. They didn't say they do podcasting, <laughs> but they yeah, do eat donuts. Well, they do eat donuts. Can they you do. imagine that podcast though? That I hadn't thought of that. That would be wow. <laughs> well, I thought the <laughs> aliens, uh, Dan. I was thinking the exact same thing. These spider-like creatures, you would think, are less like us, but they were more like us. We had more to relate and communicate with them more efficiently than we could with the humanoid race. And the humanoid race was really behind uh, an advancement than the spider-like race. And so, in other words, you know, you can't just judge something by it being familiar and thinking that it has more in common with you just because it looks like you. It's like looking in a mirror and seeing doubles of yourself. (laughs) And doubles of those flowers. Well, I find it really interesting that like at the start of this novel, they come to the planet and they see the two species, right? They see the humanoids and they see the weird ones and they outright say like the weird ones. Yeah. Like, like let's not make first contact with them. I'm okay. Staying away from that con- continent. Ooh, those are weird, but let's talk to these humanoid species. And yeah, at the fact that that gets reversed is really interesting and really reflective of a theme of season one of enterprise two, which is challenge your preconceptions. You know, that's a big theme throughout season one of enterprise. And we really see that played out here. Yeah. I think it's interesting their judgment too, that these two races couldn't be from this planet. They couldn't both be native to it. One had to come from somewhere else. And they first assumed the humanoids must've come to this planet because the spire like creatures were underwater and seemed less developed, but it was the opposite Mm -hmm. of that. So let's talk about Vulcan logic versus human impulsiveness. Now, whose idea was this to talk about that put in the show notes? I blame Dan. (laughs) All right, Dan. What do you have to say about this? So we've we've kind of already touched on it a little bit. But, you know, this this episode, this book, see, it really does feel like an episode. It does. This book features that debate uh, between the worldview of the humans and the Vulcans. So... You know, to Paul's idea to, you know, hold back and to do more research and that sort of thing versus Archer's impulsiveness. I'm basically kind of wondering, like, does this book do a good job in framing that debate? And I think kind of specifically, there's a couple of moments like when Archer and T'Pol have the private conversation in the ready room. And you really kind of get things from T'Pol's perspective a little bit, like, as far as what Archer thinks to Paul thinks of him and the missteps that she's making. I don't know. What did you guys think of that whole debate between Archer and to Paul and representing Vulcans versus humans and how they deal with the world? Well, again, to me, it just felt like a debate that, that was happening multiple times throughout season one, you know, so I guess I didn't really pay too close of attention to it while I was reading it because it, it did feel like something that we had seen multiple times throughout season one i think i really like that scene in his ready room because it was really a chance for the two of them to come to terms of what he's expecting and what she wants to give him and i don't think right away he understood what she was trying to do or where she was coming from from her standpoint and vice versa she wasn't understanding why 
He just didn't want her to be honest with him. And while there's certain times she can say something in front of the crew and other times they need to take it off the side. And from her standpoint, it's like, well, don't you just want to know why do I need to go out of my way to take it somewhere else or, or whatever? And I felt like at the end of that scene, I think they both not fully, but took a step forward in understanding where each is coming from because their backgrounds and their cultures are so different and we're trying to work together on this. I almost wanted them to take it a little further um, because, and, and I really did like that scene as well, but, you know, kind of really exploring that, for example, like a Vulcan captain wouldn't get offended and wouldn't fear that the crew would lose con- confidence in him or her because a subordinate is questioning or offering a different opinion Whereas among humans, like it's our emotions, it's all these emotions that come into play that really fuel that sort of thing. So confidence in your captain and fear of losing command and embarrassment and being offended. I think I would have liked to have them, them to have gotten to that point a little bit more in that debate, but they kind of steered away from that towards the end. I, I don't know. It was just a little observation I had. So we're right, we're getting close to the end of this. So I want to ask you guys about the B storyline versus the A storyline. Are there any similarities between the two? Is there some kind of connection that makes sense for these two stories to play together? I think that the main thing is don't just assume. Communicate and ask your other people for information and try and get as much information as you can. Because... Um, you, I don't know, the, the last question that's asked in the role-playing game, Cutler's like, I thought you'd never ask. And I don't want to give it away because I, I really think this book is worth a read. And I mean, mm-hmm. y- you know, we've talked a lot about the book and we talk a lot about things that have happened, but it's, I don't think we've spoiled the book. And there's a lot of really cool things in this book. So um, I think that the, that they, it took them a long time to get there, but there is there is something in the game that relates back to the main plot line of the book. Also, I I thought like along the way too, there were just little things like, for example, uh, one character in the book keeps having his characters meet untimely ends by kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, so at one point they have to get across this river and there's this bridge and there's a hole with a plank over it. And I think he loses two of his characters to that bridge. I could be, yeah. You know, there were other ways to get across that river. And I kept thinking that maybe he needs to try one of those other ways or something like that. But, you know, just little things like that, that like, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again and not really examining all the different angles of a thing might have had something to do with the main story as well. Yeah, I think it's about really in real life when you're traveling these to these different planets and you're out exploring every decision you make is a roll of the dice or in this case the roll of the bolts and you know you either make a decision based on a quick impulse or you take the time to think it through and consider all the different options and that's kind of what i got of the rpg thing i don't think it was a strong connection i mean it's it's that that storyline connects to all of Star Trek in a mm-hmm. sense. Um, but it's nice that a storyline like this would take place in the early formation of Starfleet, even before the Federation. So I liked it. So 
It sounds like we all like this book. So I'm just curious, Brandon, how would you rate this book on your own scale? On my own scale? I recommend it. I think you should go out and read it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it feels like an early adventure, like we've said. I really like Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Roosh as authors. And I'm, I think this is the first time that they've actually been covered on, you know, a hundred and however many episodes of Literary Treks. Now. I think this is the, their first mm-hmm. book. And I remember I so. really liking their stories a lot uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s. So I'm very happy that we've gone back and explored this. And my rating for this book would be a charisma roll of eight. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one as well. Uh, it really brought me back to that first season of Enterprise when you know, everything was brand new and stumbling across a planet was a huge deal. You know, you could see the wild eyed look of excitement in these explorers as they open up the galaxy for the first time. And I really enjoyed the two cultures on the planet and, and that whole world building of these people I thought was really fascinating. And in a lot of ways, I almost think things on the show should have you know, taken a page from this book and, and been a little bit more alien, a little more weird and that sort of thing. But, you know, that's, that's kind of typical for Star Trek as a whole, but yeah, I mean, this was a solid book. It wasn't spectacular to my mind. I, I did enjoy it. I would probably have to say I'd give it a roll of three and a half out of five because one of the bolts has just a little bit of the paint chipped off it. I'm right there with you guys. Uh, I like it. It's an early Enterprise story. It fits well within that first season. I like that uh, through the role-playing game that we got to know other crew members on the ship, a little more detail that connected to the series, almost like the lower decks. Uh, And then just the relationship between Archer and T'Pol. I've always enjoyed that relationship, and that plays out really nice here. Maybe if there's one thing I would change, maybe a little bit more of trip in this one I would have liked to seen and a little more of read, but I didn't really miss them that much in this story. But uh, it's a it's a shorter novel than what we usually get nowadays, so it's a quick read. And uh, if it's something you're looking to maybe read over like a long flight or just on a weekend. It's a it's a good, fun read if you like Enterprise. So I would say that out of 10 rolls, I also will give it eight, just like Brandon did. Well, I think as far as novels go, that was a pretty much a, a solid one for all of us. I think we all kind of enjoyed that one. I Like I said, I had a really good time kind of flashing back to early Enterprise and, and getting a glimpse of that world again. You know, it's a lot of fun it's kind of an era of enterprise that gets overlooked a lot. A lot of people think of like the Zindi conflict and then the season four stuff and then the post finale, but it was really nice to kind of go back to the silver bridge and to Paul's Brown uniform again. Yeah. And we don't get a whole lot of enterprise on the show because there hasn't been as many novels in enterprise. And of course we have, like we said, this is our first enterprise comic. So I always welcome the opportunity to talk about Enterprise. So, Brandon, thank you for that idea to talk about this book. Hey, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for holding on to the Waypoint comics so that we could talk about it now when we talked about this book as well, because I think that and that made the episode a little bit special tonight. Well, hopefully we'll get another Enterprise comic or a series of Enterprise comics. That would be totally awesome, but we'll just have to wait and see. So... 
Enterprise isn't the only thing that we're talking about here on Trek FM. There's other things you can check out, so here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek II had just premiered two weeks earlier, right? So everyone's all excited and flush. Oh my God, that's more like it. it was, you know, they were all excited and flush about the Wrath of Khan being out. You know, it was the number one movie. It was incredible. People were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just imagine seeing the Wrath of Khan for the first time. Not knowing that it was always going to be the bar forever for every Star Trek <laughs> movie after that. Literary Treks. I'm glad we reread this because at the time I did read this, it was when the new movie was out. But now that we've had the three movies, as you just mentioned, and I've seen Star Trek 09 about a hundred times, I'm very familiar with the movie and not as much as with the comic now because I've only read it maybe a, few, a couple of times. Continuing mission. You know, we were pitching our idea, Don and I, to the folks at Starbase Studios. And I vowed to myself that I wasn't going to walk on the bridge and then go sit immediately in the chair and have a picture taken of myself. However, as soon as I got on the bridge, I sat in the chair and I took a picture of myself. Uh, so, so it was like a kid in a candy store. The 602 Club. I think the problem we have, and this is just in general of all the new canon books, these books are not going to succeed unless the author focuses on one or two characters and just focuses on building a character as much as they can. I felt this was more just like you were saying, this is just more story of what's going on and not really about who these people are and why I should care about them. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That really helps out and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. Hey, and if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our current de development team, and more. And we really appreciate your support. And you know, one of our supporters of Literary Treks is with us tonight. And if you're a supporter of Literary Treks through Patreon, you can also be an associate producer, just like our friend here, Brandon Shea Matala. That's me. That's me. That's me. And also we have Greg Rosier and Ken Tripp, who also support Trek FM and are associate producers of Literary Treks as well. So, Brandon, when you're not rolling bolts, where can people find you? Well, you can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And you can find me as well with Floyd co-hosting Warp 5, which is our dedicated Enterprise podcast. And even if you aren't a big Enterprise fan, and I got to say, if you're listening to this podcast on the Enterprise novel, you probably are. Go and check out Orp 5 because we've had some really great interviews over the last little bit. And the last interview that we just did with Tucker Smallwood was really touching. 
really inspirational and it was a really amazing experience and I highly recommend you go check that episode out. So uh, that was episode 106 of Warp 5 and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. And my friend, my friends Tom and Chris and I are actually going to be starting up a new Alfred Hitchcock podcast. So you can follow us on Twitter at Good Evening Pod. And Dan, when you're not picking your sand pimples, where can people find you? <laughs> well, uh, you can find me. I have an Instagram that's uh, Kurtrats47. I will not be taking selfies because of the aforementioned sand pimples, though. <laughs> uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Productions. You can find me on Facebook.com slash Productions. And you can find me in the Babel Conference commenting on every once in a while something to do with Star Trek. And Bruce, when you're not washing that alien slime off you that smells like really bad fish, where can we find you? Well, once I'm smelling better, you can find me eating donuts anytime I'm in Canada. And they all have different names, which I'm very excited about. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. And I also talk Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And I will be at Star Wars Celebration in mid-April. So if any of you are attending that convention, let me know and love to meet you in person. And uh, of course, you can always find me in the Babel Conference. So now you know where to find all of us. So we want to thank you all for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.